Morning, everybody. Wednesday morning in London. Ta- you know, full of students. Full of students, Leicester Square this morning. American students. Full of Americans. They must all be over here for the break. All outside uh, Baden-Powell House, smoking. And I wonder if their parents know. Probably not. Let's phone them, shall we? Let's uh, say, you, you know your little kiddie wink? Drunk. Drunk and with a cigarette in their mouth. About to sort of set fire to themselves, I think. Anyway, I trust you are well. It's nice to have uh, Christo back with us. Looks exactly the same as when he went away. I expected him to look somewhat different when he came back, but uh, but he doesn't. He looks the same. Let me just log myself on, actually, because I can't um, uh, can't see anything in the studio at the moment. Right, it's better because I have to sort of keep adjusting the light. Better. And um, and so we had Amy Winehouse's funeral, which was in Edgware, and then off to Golders Green Crematorium for the cremation. And I kept thinking last night. I mean, it was a good turnout. Two hundred family and friends. It's nice, a few sort of celebrities, you know, Kelly Osborne and uh, her producer and her manager and people like that. Uh, and then I kept thinking at the end, because she was cremated, and it applies to anybody, there's nothing left, is there? there, there you know, there's no physical body anymore. It's, it's almost as if you've been wiped off the, off the slate. They've sort of taken a rubber and gone, OK, rub that one out there, and, and that's how it works. And it's all very bizarre. I find it most strange... Cremation. Although, actually, every, every time I've, I've, I've only been to one burial, or two, two burials, and uh, I didn't know she was going to be cremated, but uh, they were happy. They were, Mitch said that she'd conquered her addictions. Um, and, and, until I get the results of the toxicology report, I don't know. I don't know how easy it is to actually sort of conquer those addictions. He said she was very happy. I think that's what people want to think, don't they, at the end. People always say the same. They say, you know, were they all right at the end? They didn't, they didn't have any suffering? Are they? There's a, a thing in the paper today, balmy old Sally Morgan, poor creature. Uh, and people are writing in and, and they go, I'm, 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 I was married to this wonderful woman and now I'm with somebody else because she actually died and I, j- I just want to find out if she's OK. And Sally, the balmy Morgan sort of goes, yes, yeah, she's fine. She's dealing with everything. <laughs> she's fine. And you think, it's a load of old rubbish, isn't it? It really is a load of old toffee, I'm afraid. And uh, what else was in the paper today? One of the papers, I think The Sun have done an interview with um, that other bore out there. That's um, uh, Jordan, for some reason, who's remotely interested. Nobody's in, her uh, television programme is dying on its proverbial. She's still dragging around that little handbag, little Leandro, who still doesn't appear to have a job. I don't know how much longer he can stay here for, I don't know. And, uh, and then there was, there was the great report, which we knew anyway, that out of the, all, all the people who claim incapacity benefit, they, 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 they do tests now. And, you know, more than nine in ten people who claim incapacity benefit are more than able to work. Big surprise there, eh? Big surprise there. In other words, nine out of ten people claiming incapacity are fraudulent claimers. They're, they're more than able to work. They're just lazy scroungers. Get off your fat bottoms and get out there and work. Because the sooner they start taking away the incapacity benefit, they found 40%, that's 517,000, were fit enough to hold down a job. Of course they are. They're crooks. They're bent. They just want to cheat the system. We see it every day, don't we? We see it every day on the, uh, the television. Two of Michael Jackson's brothers are in the paper. But they, this was a yesterday story, or a day before story, and they blasted their family's plans for a tribute concert to Michael. Jermaine and Randy. Remember them? No, most people don't. Are furious that the gig in Cardiff will clash with the manslaughter trial of Jacko's doctor. They said in a statement, the show is ill-timed and inappropriate. However, Michael's mother, Catherine, and Tito... Jackie and Latoya 
have said that they're more than happy for it to go ahead. You see, still infighting within the Jackson family. It never ceases, does it? Small wonder that Michael Jackson had nothing to do with his family at all and was quite happily living his life without the balmy Jackson family hanging around. But uh, a tribute concert... I don't really know what the purpose of that is, to be honest with you. I, I can't, can't quite see why you would have that. John Terry has had to cough up £1.74 million, apparently, uh, to builders after they sued him over three flash flats he put a deposit down on. That's good, isn't it? I like that idea. And uh, here's Wayne Rooney modelling. And uh, the trouble is, why does he just look like a sack of potatoes? Why does he... I mean, which, whatever he wears, he could be wearing a ten... Um, yeah, Wayne Rooney model. I mean, they don't go together. Wayne Rooney, model. No. Shrek lookalike with a, with a three-day growth of beard puts on a very expensive suit and looks like a chav in a, in a bag of potatoes. Some people are under, I mean, I'm like that. I'm not, I'm not criticising, I'm just being honest and telling you that some people can put on a suit and look fantastic. Other people put a suit on and they look exactly the same as they did before. And I'm one of those people. I put on a suit, people get, ah, oh, you're going for a job interview. For some reason, they associate with putting a suit on with going for a, a job interview. <laughs> it's quite funny. Jane Moore says what we said the other day. Do you remember after Sarah deluded Ferguson? You know, me, 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 uh, can't go. Uh, dragged the children, the two girls, onto the television programme Finding Sarah. The, you know, I mean, how you can miss her, I've got no idea. But anyway, in the last episode, writes Jane Moore, of uh, Sarah Ferguson's excruciatingly personal US TV show, her daughter Eugenie is shown crying after they learn that a former friend may be about to give further details of the incident in which Sarah was caught demanding half a million pounds from a bogus businessman to arrange access to Prince Andrew. Seeing Eugenie so upset brought out the fighter in me, the Duchess narrates, before telling her daughter, don't be sad. They can't hurt you. They can't hurt us. We've all got to keep tough. Jane Moore says she doesn't get it, does she? There's no they in this equation of seemingly perpetual angst. There's only her. Her, the mother whose own self-obsession and reckless actions are the root of why her daughters are constantly being exposed to such emotional turmoil. Here's deluded mummy again. Here's mummy embarrassing you on television. But they're not going to get to us, darling, are they? I mean, she talks to them as if they're about five years old. You know, but remember she said, I think, to Oprah, of course, not being able to spend Christmas with my, with my beautiful girls is... Well, of course you can spend Christmas with them. They have one day where they go with their father, who is the Queen's son, to have a family Christmas. You're not in that family anymore. They might be your daughters, but there's nothing to stop you saying, why don't we... As soon as you finish with sort of grandma, why don't you come and have Christmas with me. I don't understand why she's so blooming needy. She's such a drip. She really is. I remember seeing her years ago on Des O'Connor's show. And, uh, and we loved it. We loved Des O'Connor. We absolutely love him. But they had to do this sort of kowtowing to her as if she was somebody important. Little do we realise how barking mad she is. And this, this constant need for attention. And this attention-seeking. And this, oh, it's, it's dreadful, everybody's against me, and this and that, and I've never been any good. You're an adult, for goodness sake. I know people who've got nothing, absolutely nothing at all. And yet, you know, here you are, you've had everything. Let it slip through your fingers. You're a bit, to me, like, you know, the old Kerry Katona. Had money and lost it. You know, in her case, she shoved it all up her nose. But it's, it's a case of somebody's given you these golden opportunities. How many golden opportunities do you want in life? Sarah Ferguson couldn't hold a marriage together for whatever reason. I don't know. I should imagine they're both nightmares to live with. They produce two daughters, and they don't really need to worry about it because they're in the royal family. Sarah Ferguson, you know, never actually did a day's work in her life. By, by contrast, Diana worked her little socks off. 
She was out there, she was doing nursery stuff. Sarah Ferguson, nothing. As I say, father in and out of sort of brothels and stuff like that. A bit of an embarrassment. And, 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 and it's a shame. And then she disses her mother after her mother dies. And you think, I'd never do that. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't matter whatever, you know, your parents ever did to you. You know, barring stabbing you between the shoulder blades. You never say things like that about your parents. My mother called me the devil. Who cares? These are private things. You keep them private. You know, keep your big mouth shut. And then maybe people will will treat you with some some sort of respect. But at the moment, only the Americans seem to buy into this balmy woman and, and her constant need for attention. It's ridiculous, isn't it? There's two asylum seekers in the paper today. You won't believe this, this too. This is a, a married couple... They're suing, wait for it, it's going to drive you mad, they're suing the UK border agency for discrimination and are claiming that they cannot live on £181 a week. They want £100,000. They're suing for £100,000. They say that the children have been deprived of their rights. Uh, The parents can't give them enough books, toys, food and holidays, which every British child is entitled to, so they want £100,000. The British Border Agency have basically said take a hike and whistle and all the rest of it because they don't really care. Uh, they, they, they can't live on these benefits. Afram and Bibi Ismail say they should get an extra £50 a week each in handouts. They don't do anything. They absolutely contribute absolutely nothing to this country. Um, his wife has lived in Britain for four years. Both the couple's children were born here. She had surgery at a private hospital, paid for by the NHS, and then tried to get the travel expenses reimbursed. And they said, go whistle, love, go whistle. She also wanted to take a law degree but she was told she didn't have the right to study. So they now say that their human rights have been breached. God's sake. <laughs> just, you give up, don't you, really? You kind of, you know, there's people listening at the moment going, they can't live on £181 a week, and they're not even doing a stroke of work, bone-idle pair. Kick them out! Kick them out! We don't want people like that here. If you go to America, go on, blimey, the problems you've got getting in there. You want to make, have you got enough money while you're here? Yes. Well, can we see proof of that? If they single you out and they pull you out and immigration start grilling you in America, you don't get in. You don't get any further than the airport terminal. Here, well, um, we'll, we'll, we'll let you go and visit the, the people you say, and that's the last you ever see of them. I see it constantly on the television. They had a woman the other day and she'd... Uh, a vile couple, they really are. They'd, uh, she'd invented children. She, didn't, she, she worked for a tax office. She'd invented children. She'd moved into somebody's house who had been fraudulently claiming... Uh, all these benefits, and she carried on claiming, inventing children. This is somebody who you trust in a position of authority. And they said, you, you will go to prison for two years. Two years? I'd have chucked her in for 20. 20 years, because we've had these people before go into prison for a few months, come outside and carry on doing it, because it's so easy. It is so blooming easy to fiddle the benefit system, mainly from within nowadays. You get people inside, and you think it's just ridiculous. Sooner we clamped, it's small wonder people are ripping their hair out. And there must be people in this country going, what, do, what have you done to deserve all this money? Answer, nothing. We hand it out willy-nilly. You want to be farmers getting up at the crack of dawn, having to go out there to collect eggs and stuff like that. Us, we have to get up at the crack of dawn. We don't sit at home on our bums going, um, well, I, I think somebody should just give us money. Why? Well, because everybody else is getting money, so we thought we'd, we'd jump on the bandwagon as well. No. You work for a living. You contribute something. In America, can you contribute anything to this country? No. Well, you're not coming in then, are you? Here. In you come. In you come. You know, we'd like some money. We'd like a car. Uh, yes, I think I'm going to sue you as well. Why? Well, because somebody looked at me the other day. And you think, oh, God. Apparently, the story in the paper the other day was 
Loads of ladies in burkas are now shopping in Harrods because France has banned the burkas. Like, I've noticed no more people wearing burkas. I did notice one poor woman the other day in Villiers Street, and I did feel sorry. I did want to say to her, I'm so sorry you're oppressed. But I didn't. Quarter past five. These are the headlines. It's exactly a year before the 2012 Olympics begin. To mark the countdown, the Aquatic Centre is opened later, the last big venue to be finished. The design for the medals are also being unveiled, but organisers admit there's still a mountain of work to do. In Norway, police have carried out a controlled explosion at the farm of the man being held over the shootings and bomb blast. It turns out that Anders Breivik took drugs before the attacks and posted online how he wanted to meet up with British extremist groups. And Amy Winehouse's dad says he wants to set up a foundation to help other people messed up by drugs. At her funeral yesterday, he said she'd been the happiest in a long time in the weeks before she died. Have a check on the uh, roads for you. We've got another Gary story with uh, with Jay Louise in a moment. Thank you very much. Cheers, Dave, on the North Section. 97.3. Well, you're Mike. Oh, sorry. Half the orchestra still playing away in the background. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, how rude of me to interrupt them. My friend Daryl's taking off on a plane. He said to me last night, so I'll give you a ring at 4.30. I completely forgot about it and put the phone on silent. How stupid am I? So he's probably sitting at the airport now going... He's one of these people, he's flying off to go and do something, I think, in Germany today. And uh, it's quite tiring, this flying thing. I was talking to my... Who was I talking to the other day? I was talking to my nurse, I think. And, uh, and she was saying that she's... Um, she finds just getting to the airport the most stressful bit. The holiday's okay. It's the it's the getting to the airport, trying to fight your way through, and then which channel, what gate? How far's the gate? I don't know. Was the gate down here? Is, is it this? Nobody knows. And when you get there, I'm sorry. Are we too early for this flight? No, it's closed. Okay, um, we haven't got any hand luggage. Can we just go straight on? No, you can't. The flight's closed, and you're in the wrong terminal anyway. You should be flying from Stansted. And and she so sort of you, you get there, and it's very stressful. I'm only happy when I'm actually on the plane and the thing's taking off. And I love the takeoff on planes. I love it when the pilot sits there and goes, ready, let's go for the burn. And he puts his foot down and all of a sudden your skin stretches out behind you and it's fantastic. I love the feeling. I absolutely love the feeling of it. But the actual flying bit, I hate. It's so boring. You sit there and first of all, you've got to sort of stop your ears popping. So you end up swallowing and then they give you a sweet and like that. And, it's, and never fly with a cold. My advice is, if you've got a cold, don't fly. Because it's just terrible. Because your ears can pop and they can go for, for days. And it's like being deaf. It really is awful. Michael McIntyre was doing a thing the other day. And we've all done it. You drive into a car park and you drive round and round uh, looking for this one elusive space. And then all of a sudden you see somebody going back to their car. So as opposed to winding down the window and going, excuse me, are you leaving? You're doing it all from the window. Are you going... And they look back and go, yeah, in five minutes. No, you don't have a conversation. It's like somebody will stand outside a door, and to let you know they want to come in, they'll kick the bottom of the door. They won't go, can you open the door? And he does this thing, and he's talking about this in the car park. He said, and I'm, I said, I'd sat there for what seemed like an hour. He said, and, and I said, are you going? And you, and you point with your finger as if to indicate how to reverse a car out. And the bloke went, yeah, I'll be going about five, don't worry, five minutes. That's all, I've just got to get in the car. And so anyway, as Michael then drew level, he wound down the window and he said, oh, sorry about that. And the bloke said, it's all right, he said, because I, I, I could lip read what you were saying. It turned out he was deaf, the other bloke. And Michael said, I've never felt so stupid in my entire life. He said, trying to do this thing. He said, because we all do it. We don't, we don't have a normal conversation with other people on the road. It's like that, that sort of thing I was saying yesterday. You know, you'll, you'll be driving down the M3 or something. On the other side of the road, it's at a standstill. 
and on your side of the road, there's nobody. So you weave in and out of the lanes, and it's lovely, and you're looking at them thinking, ha-ha, I can go anywhere I like, knowing that there's nothing on your side of the road. And you want it to last for the whole journey. And then when finally, after about three or four, and you wake, you, you wake the wife up at the point, you go, look! Five miles this has gone back. Five miles. He said, then you get to the end of it, and you see people, you know, driving very fast. You've got no idea what's around the next corner. You're going to be hitting the mother of all traffic jams. Lovely. Uh, I did tell you the other day that we had these pictures taken up at the Royal Albert Hall of, uh, of the British Airways girls, and it's this coming Friday, Saturday, Sunday, which Vintage is on, over on the, uh, the South Bank, Wayne Hemingway's. Festival, and they've got the British Airways catwalk show on the Sunday with all these uniforms. It's really good, actually. I mean, it's really, really good. And they've got loads of vintage clothing outlets, and they'll have discos and food and all sorts of stuff. So it's over on the South Bank uh, this coming Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And thank you to Victoria Madden very much indeed. I still wish I'd taken some. I didn't take any fruit. I should have taken some fruit. Didn't have any fruit or something. But Amanda would have liked it because it is clothes, and she'd like that. She'd be going. I could adapt one of my outfits for that. Because are you going Saturday? Are you? Oh right, because the fashion show Sunday. The British date. You can't go Sunday. Oh, busy. Date behind a bar or something. Anyway, and um, so she's going on Saturday. Oh, Saturday. Loads of clothes to buy. But yesterday we did. Um, um, who did we do yesterday? Oh, we did Paul Paul Daniels and Debbie McGee uh, for in conversation. But we were rushing about all over the place. And then after that, who do we have after that? We had Dervila Kerwin. And I didn't realise that somebody in the office has had a crush on Dervila Kerwin for ages. In fact, it's quite interesting because this particular person is married and he had a discussion with his wife. And they said that if ever they were actually going to cheat, the person they would cheat on would be... He he, he would go off with Dervila Kerwin and this person's wife would go off with Rupert Penry Jones, who is Dervila's husband. I mean, it's quite convenient, isn't it? I mean, it's almost like wife swapping, but it's only fantasy wife, so you're not actually doing it. And, and I said, well, you'd have loved Dervila Kerwin yesterday. I said, because she was wearing this skirt. Normally, ladies have the, the slit in the skirt up the side. This was right up the front. It was, it was quite revealing, ladies, and quite revealing. Anyway, she'll be a subject of a, an in-conversation. She's been out to Liberia because they're raising money with the help of an ITV programme to raise money for children in need. And we were talking about how heartbreaking it is where people don't have any money. You know, whatever you've got over here, you've got a million times more than they've got in parts of the world when, you know, children literally die in front of their parents' eyes. They can't do anything about it because they don't have the money. In one particular case, it took them, I think, three days to get this little boy to the medical centre. And when he got there, he died because... It, they just left it too late, but they can't do anything about it. And they just live with nothing, absolutely nothing. And that's why, you know, we, we were talking about how good we are in this country at giving to charity, how good we are at putting our hands in our pockets. We are deeply affected by what we see on the television or hear on the radio. And if somebody says to you, listen, you really can make a difference. A pound can make a difference. You know, two pounds can make a lot of difference. I don't agree with chuggers in the streets. I absolutely don't. I'd ban those completely. If I was running government, I'd have them off the street straight away. Because if you want to give to a charity, you give to a charity. And we do give. We're very giving. But I wouldn't hand over my credit card details to some perfect stranger just because they've got a big smile and jump in front of you. Try, try saying to them, why don't you give to charity instead of taking? And they don't, they don't have any answer to that. But you watch them there. I've seen the forms... And they're looking for your, for your credit card details. And I think, no, don't do that. I was saying uh, to Dervla about the, the kids. I said, when we lived in Hong Kong, if, if you drove through 
parts of Hong Kong, most of Hong Kong, there would be little kids begging by the side of the road. Little, I mean, I kid you not, kids. Sometimes kids who'd been maimed by their parents so that they were deformed because deformed children got more money. And little boys, and you, I've seen, you know, I've seen pictures of it, and I remember it vividly from my childhood, of little boys who have to hop along the road on their hands because they've got no legs, and they'll, they'll, they'll get to the side of a car and they just hold their hand. It's the most, I can't tell you, it's the most heartbreaking thing you've ever seen in your life. So don't ever complain about, oh, we haven't got this, all oh, the supermarkets run out of that, or we haven't got this, because we've got everything. We've got absolutely everything, and they've got nothing. Imagine having to sit there and beg, and you can't give them coins. I think Michael, uh, who was it? Somebody did a documentary on it, and he said it's so difficult when you see all these little... Ki- Michael Palin did it, and I think he was in China, and all the little kids they're holding their hand, he said, you just can't give to them, he said, because the, it, it doesn't make the problem go away. The problem is so immense, you could stand there all day emptying money into their hands, and there's more children behind them and behind them. It's absolutely terrible. So whenever we do anything on LBC, we've thought about it very carefully before we kind of come to you and go, listen, we'd like to raise some money for whatever it is. And I think if people are in a fortunate position, you know, and you can afford to give to charity, then you, then you have to give a little bit. You have to do something, don't you? I don't know why I did that. So it's only because it, it, it was t- quite touching. She said it'll live with her for, forever. Absolutely ever. You know, she, she's not going to forget that at all, which uh, I didn't think you would. Uh, other stories in the papers. Well, it's all Amy Winehouse on the front pages. And uh, here are her parents, Janice and, uh, and Mitch. And uh, it's, as far as I'm concerned, it's a private thing. It's a pri- I don't think the press should have gone to the funeral. I think it's, it's very, very private. I'll tell you what I did like, though. I like the idea that it was a good turnout for her. She'd have been quite pleased with that. And he said that I think they, they want to open a... Uh, some sort of foundation, which is a good idea. But who's there a picture of her in, in, inside the paper today who turned up to be interviewed by, uh, oh, you're gorgeous, you're wonderful, I love you, you're just beautiful. Oh, God, I'm still here, I can't believe it. Uh, Lorraine, she interviewed Nick Berry. Nick Berry, who was in Heartbeat, and of course he was in EastEnders, and now he's got white hair. I mean, it doesn't seem possible, does it? It's a picture of, he still looks good. But he turned up to promote the DVD of In Deep, which is a cop drama he made before retiring. He's retired, actually. He's 48, but he retired years ago. He, because his production company, I think, made one of his programmes. Like, whatever it was, he minted it. He made a small fortune. And so he didn't need to do anything else. So he retired, I think, at the age of about 30-something. And he now does gardening and everything else. He said, I, I do the school runs and I'm a proud gardener. So he made that much money. And you do get that with sort of a lot of people. They, they kind of opt out of the business. And then they sort of come... He looks really good, though. He's, he's, he's kept his trim... It's just the fact he's got white chest hair and white hair. And you just think, oh, my goodness, mate, Nick Berry. He's got... Well, he's, he's got his button undone. And you can see, you know, a little bit like you. You know, a little bit button undone at the top. We don't want to see your chest hair, admittedly, because you have one of those machines that gets rid of it quickly before you come into work. Chock-a-block it is. Her, her lady shave is absolutely chock-a-block. So, nice picture of him, but um, but he, he he does look a little bit different. Still got a nice, fresh face. A bit like me, actually, and of course I'm a little bit older. No, I'm not. This is LBC 97.8. Morning, everybody. Nice to have your company. Welcome to Wednesday morning on LBC. How do you think Boris did yesterday? Did you listen to Boris doing the breakfast show? How do you think he did? Not bad, eh? I wasn't actually fearing for my job yesterday. I thought, you know, just in case he wants to do some standing work. Probably stand more of a, of a chance of Jackie Smith covering for me. But uh, that's another story, because she's going to be covering for James O'Brien 
coming up uh, in August. I must mention, we, we told you the story the other day of Jay Louise, who does our travel, and there she was, you know, nonchalantly wandering down the road, you know, just getting, I'll just about to get the bus, and then the blooming thing sails past her. And so it's nine minutes early, so she misses the bus. You know, no matter how much you wave your arms in the middle of the road, they're not going to stop, they're just going to keep going. Not if, not if Ivor had been out there, let me tell you, he'd, he'd have stopped them straight away. But, anyway, then along comes nice taxi driver Gary. Hello? Hello? Where are you going? And so she just dropped me off here. Where do you work? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, I work, I work, um, you know, in that building. Oh, right, who do you work for? I do the, the travel on LBC. LBC? LB- do you know Steve Allen? Yes, yes, I listen to Steve Allen all the time. Uh, by the way, it's £14. And, um, so, because, I £14? I was horrified. Anyway, blow me down, you see. Guilt, racked with guilt. Gary goes back to the bus stop this morning. He's becoming a bit of a stalker now. And anyway, he managed to find Jay Louise, who was standing there. Come on, hop in. And he doesn't charge her this time round. So now she feels awful. <laughs> How cool. I'll give you the bus stop that Amanda's going to be at tomorrow, because she wouldn't mind a free lift in as well. Perhaps we could start a, a, a minicab service or something. Minicab service. God dear, look at me spouting filth. Uh, you know, a, a sort of a service for, for doing that. Because I've, 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 ever since yesterday, when I was still sitting at home, when I should have actually been here, we've now changed the time of my cab in the morning. And uh, so now I'm, I'm just right... I come in about ten minutes earlier, which is much, much better. Brian says, I can't believe the authorities that have released road rage killer Tracy Andrews. She's out. She was released yesterday. So, uh, not about to release. She's out. And uh, we mentioned the uh, £5,000. She's had a chin. Something, something done to her chin. She changed her hair colour and changed her name. Hardly going to be called Tracy Andrews, is she? Um, did you see Holiday Hijack? People who went for a five-star holiday had to actually live with the local people in the Gambia, says Michael. I might have seen it. I can't remember. Is this... I've seen some ghastly children who were sent to live with some very strict parents, I think, in Jamaica. And they couldn't believe how unruly these British children were. But I think we had picked a couple of thick British children because the girl was sitting there with a fag on all the time. And the man saying to her, can you put the cigarette out? And she was just pointedly ignoring him. I'd have... You know, if I'd been that parent... I mean, quite clearly, her parents were stupid because they hadn't brought her up properly to respect anybody. She didn't respect this man. She didn't want to do anything. At all. And the boy was even... They, they thought it was hilarious to abuse the people who were there to teach them some manners. Small wonder we've got ghastly people. We found a pair of ghastly people here. Mohammed and Nafisa Karolia. Why are they revolting? What they did... I can barely bring myself to tell you this. They live in Burnley, Mohammed and Nafisa Karolia. They've shown no remorse whatsoever. They tried to conceal the abuse of their baby daughter by making excuses with only one child being at home. They, they, they were twins, and they abused one child. And every time the social workers came around, they pretended it was the other child and kept saying, no, no, she's, she's away with her grandparents and all the rest of it. Uh, the baby, named only as Twin M, suffered broken ribs, legs and arms and was left with brain damage. What sort of filth are these people? What sort of filth are they? One policeman who investigated the, the, the case described taxi driver Mohammed and 22 Nafisa as beasts. Filth they are. Absolute filth. Speaking after the case, he said they've never shown a flicker of remorse. The emotions they showed were for themselves and the predicament they find themselves in. What a piece of garbage. What garb? Their families must... Oh, straight to hell. Straight to hell. And just absolutely dreadful. Uh, it's, it's actually dreadful in, in so much as this child died and it had a twin. And uh, for some unexplained reason, this man, Mohammed, mentally ill, quite clearly, but driving a cab, so engaging with the public, uh, rejected one of the twins and singled her out for uh, abuse. 
A clip was uh, regularly placed on her nose. A clip. This is a, a little baby causing severe injury and exposing the cartilage. But when the social workers called at the home, the parents would lie. Pair of filth, aren't they? Claiming she was with a grandparent. They always explained that uh, she couldn't do a doctor's appointment because she was with another uh, of the relatives and things like that. So they, they covered it up for ages. I mean, to be honest with you, the day after Twin M's death, Nafisa told a police officer she felt her daughter was in a better place. I should imagine, sir, away from a pair like you. I tell you, if we had hanging, I'd be the first one to pull the blooming trap door open for them. I think it's just disgusting. These people who go to prison for a short amount of time, then they'll be out. And that's what's, what's so awful about it. Look, you know, little children who don't have any say in this matter. Remember we talked the other day, changing the subject and trying to lighten the load this morning? If you're sitting there, thinking, especially uh, in the light of the programme the other day, when we looked at mums who started dressing like their children. And some people it works and some people it doesn't. We had Carol Vorderman and Katie King, and they were wearing a similar... There's something a bit odd, I'm afraid, about mums who think they're the same age as their daughter. They go, oh, look at this, honestly, and people think we're sisters. No, they don't. No, they really don't, I promise you. So they've got a picture of poor old Vanessa Foltz with her daughters Allegra and Saskia. And um, nice to see that Saskia's inherited her mother's figure. And, and they're all wearing similar outfits, and it's a bit it's a bit creepy, let me tell you. Demi Moore and Tallulah Willis, they look identical. I mean, I don't know how much surgery Demi Moore's had, but she can't, she can't move her face. It's, it's almost like she looks peculiar here. She looks like Morticia from the Adams Family. She looked Goldie Horn and Kate Hudson. Passable. Terry Hatcher and Emerson Rose. Only in America they give me these balmy names. Madonna and Lordez. You know, if, you, if your mum's Madonna, you kind of have to put up with the, with the strange things. Jerry Hall and Georgia May J- Jagger, because they both look very similar. Dina Lohan and Lindsay. It's so wrong. Carol and Pippa Middleton. So wrong, I'm afraid. Jane Goldman and Betty Ross, because they, they're all a bit kooky in their family. And um, they, so they say, Carol Vorderman and Katie King, they don't mind that look. The experts have said that that, that passes. Vanessa Foltz with Allegra and Thathgear, unfortunately not. It's a, it's a big thumbs down there, I'm afraid. Big thumbs down for Madonna and Lordez, Dina Lohan and Lindsay, and Carol and Pippa Middleton. But the others get the, get the thumbs up. It's so wrong, isn't it? Why do people, why do mums not accept the ageing process? You have to look for, you know, it's, when, when you look at poor old Demi Moore, she's not, her face. She looks like somebody stuck a paper mask over it. It's all very odd. Very odd. But uh, there you go. Fashion guru Alexander McQueen left 50,000 quid to look after his dogs. See, I think that's fine. I was more amazed that he left £16 million. Alexander McQueen. Everything to live for. Everything to live for. And found hanged in a wardrobe. You know, a shock for it. He's got, you know, money, fame. Huge drug problem. Huge drug problem. I was talking to... uh, somebody a short while ago, about last night, about it, and we were saying about the 16 million, and he said he went to a party where Alexander McQueen was, and Alexander was doing cocaine, and he said, I've, I've got minders, he said, to make sure I don't do too much, and he, he was snorting it with £50 notes. You think, but £16 million, when you've got everything to live for, you can't imagine, can you, in the real world, why somebody would want to throw it all away? I know depression hit him badly, I think it was on the day of his mother's funeral as well, wasn't it? I think because another friend of his, somebody blow, I think. It was one of the, the muses that he had around him. And uh, I think she'd, she'd died, and that affected him. And then on, on the, the morning of his mother's funeral, that affected him as well. And you think, but you've got everything to live for. You've got, you know, if, if you do do drugs, and we've said this, you know, in Amy Winehouse's case, 
And people say, oh, you mustn't dwell on the drugs all the time. That's the only thing that people talked about in the newspapers, unfortunately. It was the fact that every time we saw her, she was a shambling wreck. And, and we don't understand because we don't do drugs, so we don't know what the addiction is. You know, if I actually sat in the morning, I went, it's 20 to 6, and uh, God, loads of things to pay, you'd be going, what's the matter with him? What's the matter? Is he on drugs, or is it drink? What is it? And, and people just get, oh, that's right. If they're in the pop music business, you kind of accept it. Anything where it's creative, people, you know, have this crutch to fall back on. But because we don't do it, we don't understand. We have no idea what it's like to be addicted to drugs. You don't know that if you're an alcoholic, you can be off alcohol, you can have one drink, and you can appear to be as drunk as a skunk. We might take, you know, a bottle or two bottles or whatever it happens to be. But if you're an alcoholic, it's that... That's why they're, they're all a bit like that, because they're, they're, they have a drink. You know, we used to laugh at it years ago. We used to, there used to be a guy who used to appear on the television. It was a, a theatre act, I think. And he played a drunk. And he would come on stage and... And it, and and people would laugh. They thought it was really funny. Whereas now, of course, you know, now we, now we all become PC. Or not that I'm PC. We, we all go, oh, that's terrible, really. That's an addiction. That's, that's somebody needs to get some help. And you think, but it's self-inflicted. How do you go from being a normal person to being somebody who wants to shove a needle in their arm? I couldn't shove it. Well, I do shove a needle in my arm, but not with heroin. I can't understand why you'd want to do it. They had an expert on Christo's show. And, uh, and she was saying, it's not really possible for somebody to do a £1,000 worth of drugs a day. A thousand pounds of drugs a day you cannot do. You can spend a thousand and your friends would use it up, but you're never going to, uh, to do it. Um, unless you're a real addict. And even a thousand, you couldn't do a thousand pounds worth of drugs a day. It's as simple as that. So Alexander's left 50,000 quid to his dogs. I mean, he actually... I, thought, I want to know, actually, how much Amy Winehouse left. Wouldn't you like to know that? I'd be curious to find out how much money would be in her will. If she was spending a thousand pounds a day, as they claim, on drugs, how much money... Had she got? That'd be interesting. Anyway, uh, the designer, Alexander, gave £50,000 each to his housekeepers, uh, Marlene and Cesar Garcia, for their long and faithful service. It was Mr Garcia who discovered his body, so I think he deserved a bit extra for that shock. And um, he also gave £100,000 to Battersea Dog and Cat Home, the London Buddhist Centre, the Blue Cross in aid of animal welfare and the Terence Higgins Trust, £50,000 to his godson and each of his nieces and nephews, and a quarter of a million to each of his three sisters and two brothers. Amazing. I mean, that was quite, you know, that was very generous, I think. And um, it, he, he'd actually taken cocaine, sleeping pills and uh, tranquilizers. But uh, a note on a book at his flat read, look after my dog, sorry, I love you. Obviously, the balance of his mind was disturbed. But £16 million. It's quite something. I bet you anything, Amy Winehouse wouldn't leave anything like that. I bet you. Uh, yet again, says Paul, the Duchess is crying poverty. However, uh, she must be thinking that we're as deluded as she is and have the brain capacity of a goldfish. Because if you remember, after the divorce, she decided to go to the States to make her career. I, I agree. That's where she went to. I think because over here, there was, there was no point. Somebody said, listen, you need to go to America. So she went to America and she got paid money to endorse because the Americans love royalty of any f shape or form. If you've actually sort of been in the company of the royal family, that, that is, in the Americans' eyes, makes you as good as the royals. And if you actually get an ex-member of staff of the royal household, whoa, that's real one-upmanship. To get a royal butler or to get servants or people who've worked for the Queen or the Queen Mother, that's real kudos. The Americans pay top dollar for things like that. He says, um, her first action was to make a cranberry juice advert. Even at this early stage, she was smart enough to make them promise it wouldn't be shown in the UK. Obviously worried about a bit of a backlash. Her entire life has been a backlash, hasn't it? As for the couple wanting more money, I have many friends 
who after 30 years of non-stop work have been made redundant and living on £140 a week job seekers allowance. And because they did the right thing, pension-wise, are not given any... Uh, any extra. The coming over here for treatment is not new. 30 years ago, a girl got a six-month visa from the States. Admittedly, she did get a job, but when three months, she brought her mother over for life-saving heart operation. And a few months later, both went home again. Oh, I know, the ambulances that turn up. It's amazing, actually. As far as I'm concerned, you turn up, it should be like America. Would you like some surgery? Uh, we need payment. Do you have a credit card? No. Well, you're not getting surgery. I'm sorry. We're not, it's not a free service here, you know, for the ambulance chasers who arrive in the country. And that's what they do. That's what they do. They arrive and then go, oh, by the way, I think I'm about to have a baby. Straight to hospital, get it for free. I'd, I'm, I'm afraid I'd have to be hard about it. No, no, no. You check people the other end. You have to check them and go, are you pregnant? Well, no, I don't think you should be flying. You should be flying anyway. You're just coming here to go to hospital. Definitely not. No, we'd, we'd clamp down on that one straight away, ladies and gentlemen. Quarter to six. These are the headlines. It's exactly a year until the opening ceremony for the 2012 Olympics. The Aquatic Centre in Stratford, the last of the big venues to be finished, is officially opened later to mark the countdown. Police in Norway have carried out a controlled explosion at a farm rented by the man accused of the twin terror attacks in the country. A police spokeswoman said no one was hurt in the operation late last night, but didn't reveal how many explosives they found. One of the UK's longest tunnels officially opens later, and one of the country's worst bottlenecks. The 1.2-mile tunnel on the A3 at Hindhead in Surrey is part of a £370 million scheme that's been going on for four years. Do you have a check on the road, shall we, this morning? Jean-Louis. Thank you, Steve. Good morning. We're on the North Circular. 7.3. Well, yeah, I wish they'd stop doing that with that blooming thing. Don't put the blooming microphones on till it's finished. Goodness sake, honestly. Twice we've done that now. I should get angry if I do it again. Uh, the last member of a cartel that planned to flood Britain with high-purity cocaine has been jailed. Gary Thicko Williams of Peterley in County Durham was jailed for six years and nine months. Oh, you're going to so enjoy it inside, Gary. The misery that you would have brought to people and the deaths and everything else would have been a 100 years if I'd been uh, there. He and 12 other members of the gang had conspired to supply drugs and were sentenced to a total of 104 years in prison. Fantastic. How lovely. Good, 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 good. You stay there. You'll love it. After a while, you'll, you'll fit in very well in prison, I promise you. Uh, lovely picture here of a little hippopotamus. It's a seven-month-old calf who's become the latest internet sensation. I'm not even sure it's real. You know, you get these pictures on the internet now, I think. You think, is that genuine? Or is that somebody who's actually made it up? I don't know. It's quite cute. We like baby animals, don't we? We like baby animals. They're very good. Horrified mirror readers led world outrage in a Facebook page which launched over the cruel treatment of this baby zoo elephant, uh, Palo, which we highlighted on the programme yesterday. And there's a bus driver here called Martin Wells, who had to have his left leg amputated, was told by his insurers they'd only pay out if he lost the other one too. Martin spent more than £4,500 on critical illness cover over the past 12 years. He said, it's ridiculous. People take out these policies in good faith. I was told in no uncertain terms I'd need to have two limbs amputated before they would pay. Lord, he had a motorcycle crash some years ago, and uh, they say he's going to be off uh, work for up to 18 months. But even when he returns driving an automatic bus, he says he'll probably only be able to work part-time. God, blimey. Not very good, is it, really? A spokesman for Scottish Widows said the company was following standard guidelines. It said a critical illness policy only pays out when two limbs are lost. Well, have the other one taken off, then. Dick, have you ever heard anything like it? I've never heard of anything like it. There's, um, Aaron Coughlin in the papers again today. This man constantly makes the papers. He's a businessman, cleared of three gangland murders, has walked free again, despite claims he attacked two policemen. He was known as Teflon Don, 
because the charges never stick, accused of actual bodily harm. Mr Coughlin, who walked free when a drug smuggling case collapsed last month, claimed it was self-defence and didn't know they were police. He's always in the papers, always smiling. He looks quite ordinary until you read what has been going on. Uh, there's a woman here worried about being landed with a detention. She was a sixth form. She had a heart attack. It actually gave her a heart attack. Um, and she's got one of those rare illnesses. So she's got this undiagnosed heart condition, which then triggered a cardiac arrest. She was so so panicky. I suddenly worked out why I'm sort of panicky as well. I think it's because they, they've changed some of my tablets. I'm sure my uh, my tablet for... Um, my thyroid, I think thyroxine, I think they've, they've reduced the dosage of it, and perhaps that's why I'm getting hotter and hotter and hotter. Not at the moment, because it's nice and, nice and cold in here, but, uh, but it do get definitely hotter. If you're wearing a suit, says Tony, it must have been for a court appearance. I do have lots and lots of suits, actually. Lots and lots of... I hardly ever wear them. I'm not really sort of a, a suit kind of person. Definitely not. Uh, Boris talking about uh, the Olympics, saying it's going to be the biggest party on earth. What a laugh! A party that the man in the street has to pay hundreds of pounds to attend if they were lucky enough to get tickets. Chances are they couldn't because most of the tickets had gone to the fat cats who won't be putting their bottoms on seats to watch the sporting events as they're too busy stuffing their faces and drinking in the hospitality suites. A very cynical approach there. Not everybody would be drinking in the hospitality. Some people... Oh, this coffee? Yes. Lovely. Really lovely. What do you think it was? Uh, difficult to tell when you make it. I don't know. It could have been anything. Could have been from a swimming pool, I don't know. Nobody tells me anything nowadays. Arnold Schwarzenegger has always got loads of money. You've heard how much uh, Alexander McQueen had. And Arnold Schwarzenegger is set to pay his uh, estranged missus 155 million quid. Result. That's a good payday. 155 million. I'll be quite happy. Yeah, cheat, cheat as much as you like. I'm taking you for everything. 155 million. It's more than half his fortune. He's actually going to open, strange enough, a museum dedicated to him. Why would it have sort of, you know, children or something in glass cabinets that he's fathered and ex-missuses? Um, but it, it's going to open at the house where he grew up in on uh, Saturday in, in Gratz, which is lovely, isn't it? It's also his 64th birthday. 64. 64 years old. Uh, loads of pictures of the, uh, the Winehouse family. I think it should have been private, to be honest with you. I don't think we should... Uh, we should in- well, I know it's private. I think the press should have been there. It wasn't private. The press were there. They were invited in, and that's why they've got loads of pictures. So it was only private because you, the public, couldn't go. But the public did go. They were all standing outside waiting because somebody obviously leaked exactly where it was. Funny that. We're having it private, you know, Joanne. Um, you know, that's how it works nowadays, isn't it? That's how it works. You need the coverage in the newspapers. Here's, uh, oh, look, Peter Andre again with, with the children. Oh, how lovely taking uh, a well-earned break after the release of his new tune, Perfect Night. How lucky there was a photographer there, Pete, to capture the occasion with you swimming with the children and, uh, and keeping his T-shirt on in the water. Was that normal nowadays? Apparently, looking like the picture-perfect doting dad, Junior Six and Princess Four, closely in tow as they frolicked in the water. D- taking a well-earned break. After doing what? Is it very difficult being Peter Andre or something? I suppose it is, really, actually. But here he is, and lots of kisses for the children, because there's a cameraman present, and there's nobody milks the press anymore. Um, JLS stands for Jack the Lad Swing. Did you know that? Jack the Lad Swing? Did you know that on JLS? I didn't know stuff for that. But, um, but they're very swinging enthusiasts. And before you jump the gun, uh, we don't mean, they say in the Daily Star, that Marvin Humes, sharing his bird, Rochelle's, uh, the Saturday sizzler, Rochelle Wiseman... That's what I talk like that. But poor old Rochelle, I mean, she really is a bit, bit blokey, I'm afraid. But they, they like to go to playgrounds. They like to go to adventure playgrounds. I love adventure playgrounds. I think they should build them for adults. I've said before, you know, it's no good giving them to children. They don't appreciate them. 
They don't appreciate them. You have to give them to, uh, you have to give them to adults. I think in Japan they've got them, because we'd all love to go there, wouldn't we? And we'd love to sort of swing on bars and everything else. Here's something very apropos today. Are you a mobile phone owner who's got insurance on your phone? You know it's worth nothing, don't you? You know that. More than half were not aware that the home policy covered their mobile. Four out of five said they'd never made a mobile phone-related insurance claim. Don't bother taking insurance out on a phone. I'm telling you, it's a waste of time. I went in there because mine was, mine was playing up. And they went, um, well, actually, we'll have to send it away. They make it so difficult for you. The next time somebody says to me, would you like insurance? No, thank you very much indeed. Don't waste your time. It's like whenever you used to go, do you remember the standard thing was? It's, uh, uh, you, you, you would go into Dixon's or Curry's or Comet or any of these places and you'd buy a television and they'd go, um, right, the insurance on that, you get, no, I don't want any insurance. You'd best to have insurance. They were selling their own insurance policies. Whereas every manufacturer, I mean, put it this way, if that thing goes wrong, you take it straight back to them. Because your contract because we did consumer programmes for years, so I know the law. Don't be fobbed off by them saying, well, you need to send it back to the manufacturer. No, 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 no. I didn't buy it from the manufacturer. I bought it from you, pal, and that's why you're getting it back. And if it's broken, you're not sending it away. I want a replacement. It's not of merchantable quality. And merchantable quality means if you buy a pair of, of galoshes, gumboots, wellingtons, and they leak, they're not of merchantable quality, because they're supposed to keep water out. If you buy a toaster and it doesn't work, it's not of merchantable quality. If you buy a television, you expect it to work. If it doesn't, it's not of merchantable quality, and you take it back. Don't be fobbed off by spotty little sales assistants going, no, you've got to send it back. And don't buy any insurance that the shop recommends. Inside each manufacturer's box with a television, a toaster, whatever it is, you can take out their insurance policy. It's covered for the first year anyway. You don't need to give your name and address unless you're buying a television. If you're buying a toaster, they're always trying to get your name and address. And I was going, no, and they say, well, it will invalidate your warranty. I went, no, it won't. I've got the receipt here. That's my warranty, OK? Don't be fobbed off by these smart-talking salesmen. They're just trying to get you to buy their company's insurance policy, and you don't need it. I'd, if I'd had, ins- if I'd have insurance, I wouldn't have the rubbish cheap phone I've got now after I got my lovely Sony Ericsson stolen. Well, you see, I, when I went in to claim mine, he said, because um, I thought they'll, they'll just swap it over. No. Uh, we'll send it away to see what, what, what's the matter with it and all the rest of it, and we'll give you another phone in the meantime. No, I'm sorry, that's not the deal. So uh, I'm not paying any more insurance at all, I've decided. Can't be bothered. It's not, it's not worth the hassle. They treat you like absolute garbage, most of these shops. They're terrible, terrible, terrible. Uh, weather for today. Cloudy grey start. Oh, gosh. Only Wednesday. Brightening up for most... Sunny spells developing, however, one or two showers possible in the east. Warm in the sunshine, maximum 21 degrees. That's very similar to yesterday. Currently 15 degrees, pollen forecast, low. And tonight, fine evening sunshine for most, then staying dry overnight, although mist and low cloud will move in from the east. 15 centigrade, Thursday, grey, misty start, brightening up. Warm sunny spells developing for the afternoon, highs of 26 degrees. And Friday, cloudy and cooler with some rain or drizzle, so we're back to that again. And the weekend, cloudy at times, generally dry with bright or sunny spells also likely. Pleasantly warm with sunshine. That's not bad, is it? I think we can, we can just about live with that at the moment. And, um, and Sue writes to me from uh, Dagenham, Dave and Alex, Stacey Country, they say, Dagenham and Essex, and says, um, what happened to the photos of the Magic Circle show? I don't think they've got any room to put them on at the moment. I'll, I'll check when Adrian gets back from holiday and says uh, we would love to go back to the Magic Circle uh, for more. We're thinking of making it an annual event. We're thinking of making it an annual event. We're thinking of uh, there'll definitely be something next year and uh, we'll line up another 
another selection of top-quality magicians. Says, by the way, I am going to see Paul Daniels at the Barking Broadway in October. Well, actually, we talked to uh, to Paul and Debbie. It's a new show. A new show, the one they take around. He's, he's going up to Edinburgh for a month to do the Edinburgh Festival, and then he embarks on this, I think it's 40-date tour. It's quite a lot. Quite a lot. And at the end of it, I should imagine they'll be fairly tired. It takes in uh, August, September, October and November. Details will be on In Conversation with Paul and Debbie very, very shortly, plus Dervla Kerwin, plus Jackie Smith, plus... Oh, there we go. We've got an army of celebs for you. Life's full of mysteries. Morning, every eight minutes past six. Wednesday morning in London town. All the papers are full this morning of, um, of the funeral yesterday... Uh, Amy Winehouse, uh, the headline on the sun is Good night, my angel, sleep tight, mummy and daddy love you ever so much And it just seems like a tragic waste, doesn't it, really? As I say, none of us will ever understand You know, people who become addicted to, to drink and drugs And that sort of dominates their life And we're still waiting for the, the toxicology results Jonathan Levi is uh, with us in the studio, good morning Good morning, Steve You met her I've met, I've met her a few times in yeah. Winehouse, yeah. What was she like? Um, I met her before she was, um, when she was famous, but before she spiralled into her mo- more destructive kind of phase. Mm. Um, we did a South Bank Show Awards and she came and performed. And then she, oh, um, she gave one of the presentations. And then afterwards, we went into the, um, the, the bar at the Savoy, the American bar. Mm. And uh, everyone was drinking and so on. And, and then uh, Michael Ball was there as well and Michael Ball got on the piano and Amy Winehouse went and stood by him and they did this she started singing and Michael Ball started playing and it was amazing and all the wow. people in the daughter did they film it in the Savoy thought it was fantastic but what what was funny was that the the foreign bar manager came over slammed the piano shut Michael Ball only just managed to pull his hands out he had no idea who either of them were as far as he was concerned it was two drunks <gasps> in his bar and he said the pianist is not here and you may not play my piano and he said if you play it again I will throw you out <gasps> so I went over to him and I said that's Amy, that's Amy Winehouse and Michael Ball you're mad people would spend a fortune Absolutely. to go and he said I don't care who they are I don't recognise them I don't know who they are he was I don't know what nationality he was. what a rude man <gasps> and, imagine um, Michael Ball starts playing it's like Michael Bublé comes in and so you go uh, sorry oi you off the piano yeah he wasn't handling any of it really yeah and he said to all of us that if they played again um, you'd all be out we'd all be out <gasps> So, um, but I must say, Amy Winehouse and Michael Ball took it in very good. Yeah. I mean, you know, they were just having fun and they were having a nice evening. What is, I mean, a man who worked in a, in a, this was before the revamp, of course, wasn't it? It's before the revamp, I wonder yeah. if he's working there now. A man who sort of worked in there and didn't recognise Amy Winehouse. I mean, pretty you could understand maybe Michael Ball, but you would know what Amy Winehouse looked like because she's always had the same look for years. I know. So. How dim. Yeah, more for them. But, um, oh. but she was lovely. She was oh. very sweet, but, and I think she was a very... I don't know. It's a really sad story, isn't it? I mean, I'm not. We all said exactly the same. I think her, her, her parents wrote her obituary in 2007. I don't think they were. Although it's always a shock when it happens. I don't think anybody was surprised. I just think there's there's one thing saying my daughter's going to die. Her behaviour is going to lead to her death. There's one thing saying that when she's alive, mm. and there's another thing her just being dead, isn't there? Yes. And I think the sh- the shock and reality of her just being dead, and as you say, cremated and just gone. Well, that's um, it. There isn't anything left now. No. That's what I always think. I mean, I know because all my family were cremated, but it's a case of they just don't exist. They're almost whitewashed. You know, oh, oh, luckily we've got film and, you know, and 
television and music recordings and all things like that. And no doubt there'll be the last album that she recorded, which will be released, and there's going to be a concert next year or something, and maybe they're going to set up a foundation. But it's the fact that she doesn't exist physically. At least if, if she was buried, you can go... She's there, she's here, but if somebody's cremated, they're going to mix her ashes with, I think, her, her grandmother's. She doesn't exist anymore. I know. But, but, but then burials are most peculiar. I was at one um, two days ago and in, in, in Essex, in Upminster, and, um, and, and watched the casket being lowered six foot down into, the, into that. I mean, mm. it's very strange, and the body's in there, and then the yes. bits of earth and flowers are chucked in over the top, and, yes. and, then, it gets fi- and then you walk away, and then... Presumably, it just gets filled in after yes, it's gone. They actually, fi- they, they actually fill it in. In fact, as you're walking away, they start filling they it in. They started filling it in. fact, because when we were getting in the cars and just driving off, yes. I looked back and I could see yes. they were just And then, to... in, within a week, they go back because it's settled, and then they put in more, and then six, six months later, they, it settles again. Right. As it all sort of implodes. Because that's why it's so deep. That's why it's six feet, because the heat generated six feet in the ground with everything piled on top. It's like an inferno. Right. So, so the, the body decomposes quite quickly. But you're right, it's a very odd thing to do. It's a very odd thing to do. I know. Both are very odd, aren't they? Yeah, I found it odd going, going to my cousin's funeral. And you're right, you sort of... Because you remember them and you're thinking that they're in there. Yeah. And then you walk away and leave them. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't quite... I can understand why parents don't, don't want to leave yeah. gravesides because, you know, they're sort of walking away from them. Yeah. It's all very strange. But if you're cremated and mixed with her, her grandma... And then she'll be scattered, but they're not saying where. It's like Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Was, was scattered in a in a secret place. I mean, I don't want to give disproportionate weight, weight to the life and death of Amy Winehouse over and above anybody else. Really, mm. it's just very sad for those people that love her, and she was a great talent. But it, it, it it's um horribly sad in Norway, horribly sad mm. um in Africa at the moment. I mean, there's just what, what, there's, what a year. There's, there's so much misery at the moment yes. and death, isn't there? Yes, but what 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 a year this has been with. News event after... I've never known a year where so many things have happened yeah. to, to sort of to qualify for the front pages of the papers. Everything from a, from a royal wedding to sort of disasters and, you know, lots of young people losing their lives and humanitarian and disasters. And, and official famine in Somalia yes, now. Yes, and it? drugs overdoses and everything. Yeah. And uh, OK Magazine milking it to the last. Amy Winehouse, the tribute issue, uh, is out now with sort of edged in black. I mean, you're right, it was a waste, but as I said before, we don't know. What amazed me was what her, her dad said. He said, um, um, knowing she wasn't depressed, knowing she passed away, knowing she passed away happy, made us all feel better. How well, do they know that? I th- well, do she doesn't, but I think no, making us all feel better is the operative bit yeah. there, isn't there? She just wants to feel better. He'll do anything to feel better. But she said here, three years ago, Amy conquered her drug dependency. The doctor said it was impossible. She really did it. She was trying hard to deal with her drinking and just completed three weeks of abstinence. Well, she did sign up to that tour where she... Um, she was off a trolley. Well, I know, but she did sign up. To, contractually, she had to say she wasn't going to drink in order to, get, to go on the tour. Yeah. But then she, I think she put booze on stage and 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 started drinking but then broke her contract which meant the tour stopped and then right. the other day but she was totally uh, incoherent on stage it was uh, she was she wasn't even there i, I know think. but she probably hardly drunk anything it's probably that funny thing isn't there about yeah, you're an alcoholic, alcoholic you just need one little had half a glass yes or just swigged a couple of drinks and whatever it was and then um and then was drunk yes yes i mean it wouldn't have made any difference to us would it no, I, I don't think so. Such a waste, though, isn't it? But uh, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens when the, uh, the toxicology comes in. Extra sunlight, they say, can slash the risk of, di- risk of diabetes. Oh, good. <laughs> That'll be good. I'll get some sunshine today. I don't think so. And Alexander McQueen, who left £16 million pounds in his well, will. 
Barney, he did very well. Very well. He did very... Most of his money to his favourite charities, the family did well, and 50 grand to his dogs to make sure they were looked after. Well, out of 16 million, that's not that much, is it's it? It's not, really? but it also ensures that they'll, they'll live very happily for a very long time. Yeah. So he was obviously very caring in that department. Quarter past six. <laughs> News headlines, Sam Pittis. To mark exactly a year until the opening ceremony of the 20... Morning, everybody. Nice to have you company. Welcome to Wednesday morning in London. A bit overcast, I'm afraid, today. Not the most exciting. Nick's coming live to you from the uh, Aquatic Centre, because it's, uh, it's a year, exactly a year to the day, to the start of the Olympics. Is the excitement building for you? You're getting excited about it? It's getting a bit nearer. Leicester Square, you know, will be finished in time for the... I can't wait to see what it's going to look like. I hope I live long enough. You know, just to sort of see all the trees uncovered and the lights back in and the funfair at Christmas, please. 84850, LBC 973. So is the excitement building for you? Or are you a bit nonplussed about it? Do let me know either way. You're Londoners, you know about these things. 84850, LBC 973. Jonathan Levi's with us. Do your kids like the ice cream van? Ice cream vans. Uh, they do quite like ice cream vans. Yes. There aren't that as many around as there used to be when we were children. We might see even less. Really? Um, because they're thinking of getting rid of them completely because they're bringing in new air quality standards in the new year, which will cover a whole new range of vehicles. Oh. And they're going to be testing them. If they don't match up to it, they're going to take them away or fine them very heavily. Well, it's another thing that the supermarkets are a bit like off-licences, isn't it? Supermarkets do ice cream. It's loose, single ice creams now, don't they, in little... Ice cream. Even in Costco, of... you can get an ice cream. Yeah. You go to Costco and they've got a little sort of booth there where you can have a scoop of ice cream. And there are so many local and mini versions of our big supermarkets yes. all over the place that you're never far from one. I, I go to Iceland to buy ice cream, and I just put put them in the freezer. Mm. You know, I don't I don't have the. I mean, I quite like an ice cream machine at home. You know, so I could do an oyster or you know a ninety nine with a double flake, or chocolate sprinkles or something like that. But uh, they're, they're thinking of actually because apparently a new ice cream van cost £75,000, and um, fitting them with filters costs an extra 1500 to £2,000. I've got a lady quoted in the paper. Well, I remember years ago, I'm old enough to remember the ice cream wars outside the museums, yeah. where illegal traders literally batter themselves to death to get the prime pitches. They make a fortune, these places in yeah. London. They really do. Illegal ice cream vans were the bane of everybody's life. Well, it's a lot of the... But the markup on each ice cream is huge. Yes. An I mean, average of about £1.50 to £2.50 for an ice cream. For one single ice cream. For one cream ice cream. Costs you want a flake, little. that's an extra... No, I'd rather bring my own flakes. <laughs> I quite like to do that, actually. Stand up with a box of flakes, putting my own in. <laughs> It'll be quite good. So uh, you might see the end of the ice cream van. hope not, because we've had one in Twickenham for years. £75,000. I read once an ambulance, a fully fitted out ambulance, and listeners might know the exact um, figure, but I think from memory, it costs between two hundred and two hundred fifty thousand pounds just for one ambulance. That's why people steal them. People steal ambulances. We've had cases before of ambulance drivers, men and women, saying that they've actually got out to attend an accident or whatever it is, and somebody's Someone driven off, the or somebody has either stolen stuff from the back of it. That's terrible, isn't because it? Because it's carrying equipment, and unfortunately for certain people in this country, that the, the stealing is the thing that they want to do, because it's all marketable. Oh. Apparently in Romania, the uh, <coughs> local townspeople put up a, a wall around a gypsy encampment to separate the locals from the gypsies. Within three days, the wall had been dismantled by the gypsies and sold. <laughs> they nicked their own wall, which is very exciting. I'm going to buy Channel 4 for another series. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to see Paul Zerdin in, uh, in October in Hersham, says Gordon in Betchworth. I was amazed yesterday by Dynamo. Have you seen him? I haven't. I'm a, I'm, I wish I could tell you more about Dynamo, because there's things I would love to tell you that, you know, that I can't really tell you. But uh, some of it isn't magic. 
some of it is sort of being a bit economical with, with the truth. You know, you have to, I always have to think logically about magic, loving it as I do. If, if I actually go up to you and I say, Jonathan, think, think of a name, and you go, Sadie. And I, t- I go into my wallet and open up a credit card, and there, embossed, is Sadie. Well, quite clearly, I do not have an embossing machine in my pocket. So I must have prearranged something with you beforehand for you to say Sadie. Yeah. Because otherwise you wouldn't know. And you have to think logically. And that's why I think some of the things are a little bit far-fetched. Just, just think logically about things. Kids are always terribly good for magic. Because you show them something that gets in the other hand. That's terrible. I remember showing <laughs> something to a kid once. He went, that's, it's in your other hand. I went, no, it's not. And there was a magician called David Williamson on the television once. He was on the Paul Daniels show. And he had these children there. And he said, right, I've got four cards. One, two, three, four. And this little kid piped up. No, he got five. And he said, no, I've got four. One, two. He said, you've got one underneath that one. And he, oh, no. <laughs> they're so observant. Don't ever yeah. show... That's why you do simple magic. Look, balloon in this hand, balloon in that hand. Bang. OK? Everybody happy. Here's sooty. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ever show kids anything complicated. They'll ruin it for you, as magicians everywhere will tell you. But uh, I, I haven't seen Dynamo working, but I, I know of the thing. And Paul Zerdin, as you know, you will love. He's fabulous. I didn't realise Michael McIntyre was so rude. I've not really heard him be rude. He, he uses the f word on his live and laughing. Liberally sprinkled all the way through, but because he does it with a smile on his face, you can kind of get away with it. Because it's, it's not being aggressively rude. It's sort of kind of... Funny, funny naughty. I can't really describe no, it. No, I know exactly. Pr- what Princess you mean. Margaret u- used to swear, apparently, like a trooper, uh. and used all sorts of rude words. When Michael Mac- McIntyre does it, you're so you're kind of shocked. He's very clever, Michael McIntyre. That particular oh, brand of humour, it's very accessible yeah. and very relatable, isn't it? Yes, I think so. Everything's very observational. I like that actually. You know, he, he just he just it's takes everyday things. His little stories of bedtime rituals and and his, and his little boy car yeah. tree. Tree, car, two words, fantastic. What an educated child. Is this a tree? No, car. There, he's brilliant. What an achiever. Yeah. What have you got? Um, well, I was just reading more about Emmy Winehouse and, you know... How much more can we read about her? <laughs> Apart from that, she did have a, an album, I think... I think she's recorded, I think. Right. It's pretty certain. She'll probably come out. Yes. And she had quite a traditional Jewish funeral, didn't she? Mm. I think people probably, a lot of people probably didn't know that she was Jewish and from quite a traditional Jewish family. Very so traditional Jewish a, family, by the sound of it. Traditional Jewish funeral. Um, and then her, her, her parents all do um, shiver for seven days, and which is when everybody comes around to their house every night for seven days and wishes them sort of long life and so on, and she would have been buried in a white pocketless linen cloth and, and all that oh, really? sort of thing. Oh, so. crikey. Well, she oh, wasn't so. buried, obviously, she was cremated, so yes. it'd be a bit different. But, um, so you have a service first and then the cremation afterwards? I think so, yeah. But it's supposed to be done within 24 hours, isn't it? It's meant to be. Yes. But also, she had tattoos, and apparently, under under Judaism... Well, the thing, the thing is, she wasn't orthodox. Now. Well, she was, I think she's the, there at sort of... Um, progressive liberal jews her parents right so the tattoo thing wouldn't really apply and also really orthodox jews wouldn't have cremations either they'd just be buried right because they don't really believe in cremation yes because somebody said that if she was orthodox she'd have to be buried in another part of the cemetery because she had tattoos but she's um because she's not orthodox and right. the liberal judaism doesn't really mind tattoos and is perfectly okay about cremation it's so flexible this religion i love it already <laughs> it's so exciting i think michael mcintosh did a whole piece on it it's marvelous because <laughs> he lives in north london and it's just so exciting he said it's just marvelous everybody's got big cars everybody's got big cars uh, northerners have bigger brains apparently you know we always laugh about the north south divide we go all oh, northerners well, they've got bigger brains than us apparently so oh. they say that the further away from the equator people live the more gray matter they have 
which some will no doubt be tempted to believe explains the mental aptitude of brainy northerners like Brian Cox, who comes from Lancashire, a place called Chatterton. I quite like up north. Yeah, I quite like up north. I do like it. I mean, down here we are used to it because we are the, the go-ahead, you know, people down here because we're all southerners. OK, you are. And, and up north it's all pretty countryside and people with whippets and flat caps. But then it's, you know, I mean, we can talk about the Norwegian story in a minute, but... but but um, it's freezing all around Scandinavia and Greenland and Iceland. Mm. I mean, I mean, mention some world famous brain boxes from around there. Well, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Well, well the... Nobel, <laughs> the the what? Nobel man who did the Peace Prize. <laughs> what is him? The bloke that did the prize, not yes. the one that won, the, the, not the people that have been winning them. But no, the not the people who winning, but the man who came up with it in the first place. Uh. We went to the Nobel Centre. Oh, really? In Oslo. Oh, good. It's, 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 there's a huge amount of money. They have a huge amount of money, which is this... And it's, it's a most bizarre centre, right in the middle of Oslo. We went for a walk round it. She, it was, it was, it's really good. We, we took pictures in there and everything. I, to be honest with you, I can't remember exactly what was in there, but there was loads of stuff to do with the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> and it was, it was very interesting. I love the country. It's oh, so beautiful. Lovely. It's so but blooming cold in winter, you're right. It's a lovely area, though, isn't it? It's a and they're nice area. people. Gorgeous people. The one thing that we, we've said all the way through is how dignified they've been. I know. You know, there's been no rioting or, you know, this man's going to be killed, this, the, the, this man turns up in the back of a, a Range Rover, it looked like, Not, no blanket over his head. In America, they'd have gone into meltdown and launched fighter planes and everything yeah. else. In, in, in well, they had the army Oslo. on the streets, didn't they, in Oslo? Yeah, but just everybody was so dignified. Busy. I know. Everyone's so dignified. They're, they're just, just not used to this sort of thing, no. are they? It took them an hour and a half. I mean, he was shooting for an hour and a half. The policemen, the police took ages to get there. Because they didn't have an armed it. for miles. No, well, they wouldn't have. You don't, not, they don't expect that sort of thing. So when somebody goes yeah. out and kills, you know, 70 people, yeah. and the kids didn't know, there's still, I think, about 15 kids unaccounted for. Right. They're, they're, they're missing. They don't well, know. They swam out, didn't they? Yes, but he was still shooting into the water. Yeah. I mean, and yet shows no remorse. I mean, he's, he's quite clear. He's, I mean, he... Well, I don't, well, he didn't get his moment in. I mean, he was hoping for an open court and to be able to give. Yes, he wanted his to give statement to the world. Yes. I mean, he said tomorrow I shall give my statement, my explanation no. to the world. Sadly not. You're in. Sadly uh, not. Good. You're in um, solitary confinement for eight weeks, and that means no contact with anybody, family, friends, nothing at all. No radio, no newspapers, no television, nothing. And they obviously. And what will they do? Lock them up and throw away the key? I mean, they can't let them out forever, ever, can they? Well, I wouldn't have thought so, not for that. But somebody said that they, they, th they think there's a 21-year ruling. What, in Norway? Yes, that means that they don't lock people up for more than 21 years. Who knows? Who knows? We'll find out more on that. OK, we'll take a short break. So I want to know, it's a year, exactly a year to the day to the start of the Olympics. Is the excitement building for you? 84850 LBC 973. Steve Allen. Morning, everybody. 26 minutes to uh, 7. Jonathan Levi's here today. I love the, uh, the judge who poked fun at the number of personal appearances by Wayne Rooney telling a court it's a wonder he actually got time to play. Because uh, if you remember, um, uh, Lord Justice Sullivan joked during a court of appeal hearing in London where a sports management firm are staging a legal tug of war over the Manchester United striker. Uh, he was, he had contracts that said he had to do so-and-so, so-and-so. And, in fact, one particular company, Proactive, which used to represent Rooney and Colleen, made a £4.3 million claim against the pair and firms to which they are now linked, including Speed 9849 Limited. And then the judge ruled last year that uh, Rooney and his wife had to pay £5,000 and £90,000. Peanuts to them, ladies and gentlemen. Neither Rooney or Colleen could be bothered to turn up in court. Oh. It's just, but, but the judge said, with all these appearances and, you know, having to wear this and having to wear that, I'm surprised he found time to do anything at all. Which, of course, is, uh, 
<laughs> quite quite right, actually. Listen, um, we, we spoke um, earlier on, and in fact all this week we've been talking about the situation in, in Norway. We went over there, of course, last year to go and sort out the Christmas tree and bring it back uh, to London. Press spokesman for the Norwegian Embassy here in London is Stein Everson. Stein, good morning. Good morning. I mean, the, the one thing that we've thought all the way through this is how calm and collected everybody seems over there. You know, people have been extremely dignified. Well, we are a nation in uh, still a state of shock and disbelief at what happened last uh, Friday. Norway is uh, um, such a, a peaceful and quiet corner of the world, so mm. this is a, a complete shock to us. And uh, uh, we, we simply do not know uh, what to say. This is beyond uh, comprehension, and it's impossible to express with words the sorrow that we feel after after the attacks last uh, Friday. I, I, I think everybody has been so touched by, you know, the people who've sort of come out and tried to explain it away. The, uh, the process over there, the judicial process, is somewhat different from here. At the moment, the, uh, the man who is apprehended um, is in solitary confinement for, I think, eight weeks. That's correct. And is, is, is this so that they can then build the case and make sure that they've got everything in, in place? Well, I'm, I'm uh, hesitant to comment on the legal procedures ahead. Obviously, this is a case without precedence in, uh, in Norwegian history, in legal history. But we have, uh, of course, uh, our procedures in place that will be respected and that will be followed. So I think we should await the, uh, the investigation from the police uh, before we comment on the legal procedures. But I would like to say that we are quite overwhelmed by the... Uh, expression of sympathy and the condolences that we've received from from Britain and from ordinary Britons, really. Mm. Um, at the uh, Norwegian Embassy in Belgrave Square, you can see flowers outside the uh, the entrance. You can see people have uh, come to light candles and leave cards. And uh, there's been a long, long queue of people who have wanted to sign the book of condolences uh, at the at the embassy, and were very, very touched and moved by the support from the British people. We actually loved it last year. We, we said, you know, the, uh, we were very touched by the, the people, very hospitable people and very, just a very clean, lovely country to be in. I mean, we, we thought it was absolutely wonderful, everything from hotels to people you meet on the street. Everybody seemed so genuine. So the, the, the shock and the, the loss must be absolutely immense for everybody over there. It, it, it really is. And Norway is such a small nation as well that most, uh, most people are... Uh, they, they feel affected in one way or another. Most people know someone who knows someone who is affected if they're not directly uh, hit themselves. And uh, uh, I, I also have to say that uh, we, we, are, we feel very closely related with the British people here, not the least symbolised through the Norwegian Christmas tree mm. being, being lit on, on Trafalgar Square every uh, year in December. And with uh, a lot of people who come to the embassy and, and call us and send us emails and letters, they refer to, to that uh, symbol of peace in, in, uh, in the time very, very difficult for us. And that is very, very moving and touching for us. I actually f f feel this year, Stein, that we should, we should maybe send you a tree this year. <laughs> well, that would be a lovely gesture, obviously. Uh, we will definitely at least continue sending our Christmas tree to, uh, to you and to, to London every year.
Well, you know that you have the, the thoughts of, uh, of all the people in this country. How, how you're dealing with it, I have no idea. But, uh, but good luck to everybody over there. Thank you for talking to us. Thank you so much. Thank okay. you. OK. That's Stein Everson, who's the press spokesman at the Norwegian Embassy. So they're, they're as touched by the, by the reaction that they're getting from us as we were by the whole thing. You can't comprehend that, can you? I mean, 76 people killed like that. It's just unimaginable mm. horror, but what an incredible country and what an incredible yes. nation and what an incredible yeah. group of people. We, we, we sat at the end, when we'd finished doing the, the tree thing, Amanda and I went and sat by that. We'd, we'd been round the, uh, uh, the, the, the Nobel Centre and then we sort of sat there and we sort of did the round-up. And it was lovely. It was ever so quiet there, just looking at the water. I was thinking perhaps we could put her on a sort of a boat and push her up. To, you, know, <laughs> you know, a little bit like that. And uh, It was just very pretty there. Yeah. It was freezing cold. I can't tell you how cold it was in the forest. I've never been so cold in my entire life. Did you see the photographs of all the Norwegians standing in a, maybe it was a big square or something, but all of them holding yes. roses and yes. flowers? Yes, yes. Terribly dignified. Yeah. Just terribly, terribly dignified. Amazing. Um, Steve says, Babs, our estate has at least three ice cream vans. They come every day. How much money do they think poor parents have? Well, it's always the poor people who've got money for ice cream. You know, it, that, I remember as, as a kid years ago, you'd hear the ice cream van, you go, Mum, 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 money, 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 now, run, quick. And you get out there, just see so he was turning around the corner, you have to run up the road, and then and you, eventually you, you get to him and, and you buy your ice cream, and then it starts dribbling down your hand, by the time you got back to the house, to <laughs> show your mum what you bought for your thruppence. And that was it. But I like an ice cream van. We used to have one called Mr Softy. Lucky old Mr. Softy, we used to say. <laughs> but, uh, and th- there was a little tune that went, call him Mr. Softy, or something like that. Perhaps I was making that bit up, I can't remember. Uh, Steve, I've lost the excitement and interest during an annoying attempt at purchasing tickets. Typical failure. Steve, honestly, not excited at all. About the Olympics. Olympics. No. The difficulty is with the Olympics is that, unless you're into sport, and you really want to watch people pole vault and run around the track and do sort yeah. of hop skips and jumps and long jumps and things. Hop skips and jumps. In the end, that's all there is. There's just a load of sporting events in the middle of it. Yeah. It's not anything else. Well, it's, 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 I think it's the, the excitement of the opening ceremony. And also, we want Tom Daly to win. Yeah. Although, actually, judging by his last uh, performances, he was, he was ranked fifth, I think, where he is over in Shanghai at the moment. Right. I still think he's going to do well. He's recovering really well from the death of his dad because he said, uh, he said, he said, I've still got a mum at home who tells me off, even though he's out there and he's been travelling around the world, you know, by himself, turning up to all these things. He said, my mum still tells me off and I've still got two very annoying brothers. He I said, don't really like diving off the side of the pool, let alone up there. I couldn't... He, well, even he said he gets sweaty palms. I've, I feel ill watching it, especially, when, high, especially it? when they really? actually turn round backwards and they're just on the... Well, honestly, I feel sick. Yeah. I couldn't do it. Uh, Lynn says, I can't say I'm that excited, though I'm looking forward to the diving. I hope all the roadworks will have finished. And well, London c- needs to be ready, doesn't it? It does need to be ready. All the oh, roadworks so. and all the yeah. really infrastructure, everything needs to be done. Yes. Mar- Mark in Brentwood, for the Olympics, Brentwood Theatre are broadcasting the opening ceremony on their cinema screen, and they're having a party. Never one backwards at coming forwards. They always like a good party. And for the borough, there'll be a huge sports and arts event on the 1st of July. Uh, preparations being made for the torch to visit Chelmsford on the 6th of July. And Leicester Square should be finished by then, Well, I'm we? hoping so. I can look out the window every day thinking, what's it going to look like? There's no indication. They just seem to be ripping it up and putting it down. They put bits in, but we're, we're none the wiser. Yeah. There's no photographs. Uh, Jackie in London says, it's driving me mad. I wish I could be out of the country for all of it. And Adrian said, a year to the London Olympics, a year closer to a debt that will last like Toronto and Athens. 
Because it took them years, didn't it, for the, uh, the debt. I think we should... I mean, I'm, I'm trying to be positive about it, but to be honest with you, it's left me a little bit cold as well. I'm trying to be excited about it. I'm just... I, I never really particularly enjoy watching it when it's on TV, whatever country it's on. No, I'm, so... well, as you say, I think you have to be a sportsman or, or woman to get interested in it, and neither of us are particularly sporty. Really? This picture of Peter Andre... Um, with the children. With the children. I mean, not only, not only is he selling his... I mean, I, you have to feel a bit... Ultimately, it's just, it's just so cynical, isn't it? There he is. He's selling pictures of his kids, but not only is he selling pictures of him and his of, uh, on holiday, but um, but he's wearing. I don't even want to give any more publicity to the hotel, but he's wearing a t-shirt advertising hotel. Yes, because which he's a, obviously got free beer. Free hotel. So it's a sort <laughs> of which he's not at because he's in Italy, and this hotel he's advertising isn't in Italy. But he's obviously been there and he's advertising yes. it and is an ambassador for it or part of it or promoting it in, is, do, in some way. I suppose it, it prompts the question. If you see Peter Andre at a particular hotel, do people then go, we must book that hotel? Well, do they do that? I don't know, but uh, w- what I do know is that lots of stars get given free trips to the poshest places all over the world all the time in yes. the hope that people will think that. I know. So... I'd, I, I, I just got Norway, and I was very happy to get Norway, and we did get uh, Julie Andrews. We liked that. That was lovely. Yeah, lovely. And, and I got uh, the Royal Albert Hall for British Airways for their, um, for their fashion. And I love that as well. So I suppose, in a way, he actually gets to go... But I might, to be honest with you, he spends most of his time frolicking around on holiday. He went to Dubai, I believe, a short while ago, and that was another photo shoot for the magazine and for his, his programme. Well, that's where this, you think, this, was, that's where this t- T-shirt's advertised. That's right. Well, that, that, well that, that, that was another freebie. Why don't these people... But then I think there's quite a number of them go out there and they go, oh, it'll, you'll, you'll get loads of business. I thought the people who follow Peter Andre, these hotels wouldn't want those sort of fans. Well. They'd be looking for sort of something quite upmarket. And also, he's, it's, a, it's a bit needy. I mean, you have to remember, he's 40-plus. And he's still sort of, it's, it's a bit Kerry Katona. Although, what's happened to her, I can't imagine. She's I think sort she's, of unravelled, isn't she? Yes, really? she's hoping to go into EastEnders. Oh, is she? She's an actress, of course, now. I do hope not. Amanda Knox will make a fortune if she's cleared of Britt yes. Meredith Kircher's murder. 24-year-old American nicknamed Foxy Noxy. She's got a big online fan base, sort of sickos all over the world, obsessed with her being a sort of an attractive murderess. Yeah. Um, whether she did it or not, nobody knows, but the now say court the case looks flawed. like it might I'd be unravelling yes. and she might get off. Interesting, isn't it? She's been in prison for a while, though, hasn't she? In which case, there'd be compensation, there would yeah. be film deals, book deals, there could be everything. There have already been nine books and eight TV documentaries. Ever? Um, already, but Knox's own story set to be a be- bestseller. Mm. Um, she'd be offered a million pounds to strip off for lad mags. Oh, goodness, um, how tacky. I mean, it really is tacky, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. All yeah. right, listen, qu- quick, uh, quick, I've got the teeth right now. Uh, got the brain working, now the teeth are given up. Quarter to seven... <laughs> Headlines with Sam Pittis. To mark exactly a year until the opening ceremony of the 2012 Olympics, the Aquatics. Morning, everybody. Nice to have you company. 12 minutes to, uh, to 7. So, a lot of you telling us about the Olympics. It's, it, it, it's, I hadn't thought about it being a sporting event. I know it is, but I just keep thinking it's, it's well, the I know, Olympics. I know it's going to be the greatest party ever and it's the biggest thing that's ever happened to this country, but in the end, it's pole vault. It is pole vaulting, isn't it? And running round a track, trying not to knock over those things that they put in front of you. Yeah. The hurdles. Don't put them in front of them, they won't knock them over. <laughs> it's easier, isn't it? And the high jump, quite clearly, when they knock the thing off, it's too high. Make it lower. <laughs> just put it on the ground, they can just jump over it. It's a lot easier. And there'll be Russian shot putters, and there'll be discus throwers, and javelin throwers, and it's all quite fun, I suppose, but that's all it is. Well, I, we used to like the, uh, the Russian... 
uh, shop putters, the women, because they looked more like the men than the men did. Yeah. And that was all in the days of everybody was on anabolic steroids and everything else, and these Russian women would turn up looking a bit, you know, like this kind of thing. I, I like the ones where they... What's that one where they, they have a big mat... And they come on, and they sort of dance around and twirl a ribbon, and then they do backflips across the thing. I think you dreamt that one. Oh, I've dreamt that one, have I? No, I haven't. Is that an Olympic sport? I think so, yes. Ribbon ribbon. Yes, they have a ribbon on a piece of stick, and they twirl it in front of them, and then they sort of jump through it. Oh. I must stop drinking that cheap wine again. It's obviously not good for me. I can't remember what it is. I quite liked Fatima Whitbread and Daly Thompson and... Yes, because they they were our icon, but this year we're all behind Tom Daly. Yeah, we, we have to stop talking about Tom. I know. I feel like we're talking about Tom Daly all the time. Yeah, but we want him to win because because we feel sorry for him because because his dad died and, and he his seems dad like a great guy. and he seems like a really nice person and I, I like the family. I don't know them. I've seen them on the television. Uh, we, I just want him to win. We like Tom Daly very much. We like Tom Daly. Good luck, Tom Daly. Yes, and um, uh, Noreen says that there was a story in the paper yesterday that the BBC might be closing BBC Three. Oh, I, I think BBC Three is completely safe. Well, that's what we thought, because most of their good programmes have come from there and then gone on to sort of mainstream channels. But more, Noreen says, that's the channel I watch the most. Have you watched Underage and Pregnant? BBC Three, I think, is completely safe. I think, if anything, the vulnerable spots of the BBC are BBC Four and BBC Two. Yes, and local radio, which really serves no purpose whatsoever. And Danny Cohen, who was the controller of BBC Three, has gone on to be controller of BBC One. And Simon yeah. Bennett, who was in charge of ITV Two, Three and Four, is now controller of BBC Three and is very talented. It's doing a lot of great new shows mm. and does actually get a big youth audience. So I think BBC Three is completely safe. It's this youth audience, isn't it? I used to get quite annoyed watching television overnight. I used to think, why are all the programmes geared for young people? They have sort of, we used to have sort of, you know, set in a discotheque or something. And I'm thinking, what about most, the older people? Most of the BBC isn't ge- geared at young people. Oh, isn't it? Oh, right. BBC Three specifically is aimed at young people, but BBC One, I mean, the, and like ITV, the average age is about 52. Is it? Yeah. Oh, it's all right. A little bit older than our good selves. Apparently, I've, I've missed the, the new one last night, which Noreen recommends, Geordie Finishing School. For, yeah. <laughs> for Miss Noma, that one, isn't it? Four posh girls go to live for ten days in Newcastle and get blathered. <laughs> should imagine. <laughs> I've been to Newcastle. It's, it's quite pretty. Yeah, it was very pretty. It is quite nice. It's got more listed buildings, I think, Newcastle than yes, uh, yes. Most cities in Britain. I don't like that Geordie Shaw program. Though. I really, that's I really, pretty tacky. It is it? tacky. I mean, you know, if if I want to watch sort of drunk people, I'd go to Iron Apple or something. And Mersey Shaw, I think, is going to be the next one. Oh dear, I wonder if they're going to be any better. Why can't they just find normal people though who, who go out for a drink? Shows. Well, that's the thing, though, isn't it? That these structured reality shows so far have been focusing on kind of young, uh, disaf- you know. Kind of drunk young people, but yes. they they well very well might move on to different sections of society. Yeah, well, one can only hope. Yeah. Um, apparently, lads called Isaac or Jake are more likely to be mummies boys. It says here a study of three thousand women with children aged three to sixteen revealed those with trendy names are more prone to go running to mum in times of crisis. But that was always the case. Isaac it's always and Jake, Isaac and Jake, Stephen, Jonathan, Stephen, Jonathan. Hand. I mean, I always, you know went more to my mother than my father because yours got you know girls were sort of daddy's girl and it was it was mum looked after the boys yeah i don't know why that would be but uh I'm too sure perhaps we'll find out uh, gary says um when you were talking about the ice cream vans we used to ask for the broken cones broken cones yes you know if they put all the cones in the butt perhaps a few of them broke or something oh. and uh g says our ice cream van was mr whippy I remember Mr. Whippy actually. Mr. Whippy was it was it was again the soft ice cream. Now it's and it was it was more a yellowy colour. Yellowy colour, yeah. And it was quite nice. Whereas now it's sort of cheap white. It's cheap white, yeah. No, you're right. It is cheap white. Yeah. And a bit tasteless now. It is a little bit because all they're doing is pouring in like a liquid, which then freezes inside. 
And it played Green Sleeves. Dum dum da dum da dum 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 dum. I remember yes, that. Yes, they were all That's ghastly, weren't they? Yeah. And had lemon ice or a cider lolly. Pooh, those were the days. Uh, Steve says, Kev, I'm happy about the limit. Do you know, I saw a milkman this morning. He had milk bottles. I haven't seen milk bottles. For you. I didn't even know they existed anymore. Milk bottles. How about that? Little note in the top. Not today, please. Yes. Or two pints. And, and can I have some, some extra? Because on my one, you, you used to better get bread, butter, bacon. I mean, you could stock up if you had no money and now you had to pay on Friday. Yeah. Which was good. He said, uh, yeah. I was the first milkman. I'm paid commission only. I was first milkman to go to all the sites when they first started. Shame they're nearly finished. But he is happy about the Olympics. Paid commission only. Yes, in my dairy, they used to have the, the they used to have on the front of his float, uh, this, this is Michael, or whatever his name was, and he owned that round. That was his round. Am I facing the wrong way or something? Very territorial, that? isn't it? The it is, but yes. My friend has just come back from Ibiza, where Peter Andre was making uh, personal appearances, and she said he was very short and just stood posing for photos after singing Mysterious Girl, but she was happy as she got to touch his thumb. And you get to rack up, as it? You get, you get their personal appearances, um... Uh, little little um, companies that just organise and get and promote PRs yeah. for st- for little ta- talents like Peter Andre, and he'll get paid per personal appearance for really? each yes, one. They... He'll turn up, he'll just get the money, turn up, pose for photos, say a few words, and move on. And some of these stars might do three or four PAs, as they call it, in one night, going from one place to another, literally just picking up the checks in each one. Good lord. And Mark Wright, apparently, bless his heart, from the only where's Essex, apparently, was doing one, where I think people paid £15 to have a picture taken with him and got an autograph. Yeah. You must be desperate. <laughs> you must be desperate. He's at the sort of lower end of the He's way, l- way low rent. Paris Hilton, on the other hand, can make a fortune by doing PA. Yes, I know. And we saw on her programme. She £1,000 by turning up for a nightclub for the, for the Yes, evening. and then she stands there and poses that sort of strange little girly, girly pose she's got. Straight to the VIP area, a few photos, photos going in, photos coming out, pose for pictures, done. Isn't fortune. it funny? Isn't it funny? I remember she, she, she walked off a TV interview the other week. When the uh, interviewer, I think for NBC or ABC, something, said to her, do you not think you've had your day now? I've <laughs> been saying that to Jordan for years. <laughs> Declan says, threepence for an ice cream and you're only 40. Yeah, all right. You need to make a big thing about that. Thank you very much cheap indeed. ice cream. Yeah, very cheap ice cream. There's lots of footballers behaving badly in the papers. Ryan mm, Giggs and various places. What is um, it with football? Is it because they've got too much the money? Work, Ashley Cole. Ashley Cole again. Ashley Cole again. Poor oh, Ashley Cole. Dear. I must... I'm, there's a good show at the Duke of York's Theatre. It's called Journey's End. It's, uh, it's trench warfare. Oh. It's a very, very, very interesting piece. It's got rave reviews in the, in the papers. Absolutely rave reviews. And uh, it's, it's been out before. I think 2004, and the reviewer here said, I, when I saw it first time, I left emotionally drained, and it's exactly the same experience now. So it's at the Duke of York's Theatre, and it's called... Journey's End. Sounds very good. Sadly, no more time. Oh, very sad. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much. Off to, off to work today. Off to work today. Make lots and lots of money. Wish I had my camera phone when I spent that evening oh. with Michael Ball and Amy Winehouse. I can't believe... That's such a good story, actually. That's such a good story. Michael Ball and Amy Winehouse, and nobody had camera phones. What a pain. Thank you, Jonathan, Thank very, you much. very much. That's Jonathan Levi. Listen, um, that's it for this morning. I'm back with you tomorrow morning between five and seven. Don't forget to podcast the programme. Go to the LBC website. Check out all the nice photographs, especially the, the BA girls and those uh, uniforms over the... See how many you remember. It'll age you, I promise you. But that's all taking place at Vintage this coming Friday, Saturday, Sunday down on the South Bank. So our thanks to all the girls down there. Nick and the team out on the town this morning, as you'll discover after the business update with Sam Pittis. Thank you, Steve. The FTSE will open after closing up four points